This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you, and congratulations to our listeners you made it. That's me knocking on my wooden desk because just in case, it's been a hell of a year, but Penn State football kickoff 3.30 Saturday afternoon in Bloomington, Indiana, where the Hoosiers will host these Nittany Lions. We'll get our first look at Big Ten football across the country, specifically, of course, focused in on this matchup here. Zach Osterman from the Indy Star is going to join us to give us the lowdown on what exactly Indiana brings to the field here in 2020. A lot of familiar pieces there, a compelling quarterback, a top defensive player lost for the season due to a preseason injury. So he's going to help us put those pieces together. We have you covered from a Penn State perspective, of course, as we get ready for this matchup. Um, Sean, we just wondered if we'd get here for the longest time. And I know um, it's strange because we still haven't been on the practice field. We haven't seen these guys in person for so long since we got a peek inside the weight room back in the, I think it was the first week of March, right before everything really. Thoughts on us being at the precipice of kickoff? Uh, I'm happy to be here. I'll say that. Um, it's It's been such a long year, and, and it's a very interesting start to the season. You and I were talking before we went on the air that usually you have non-conference to work up to, and no offense to the MAC teams or whoever they play in the non-conference, but you, know, you get some of those answers right away, and you can sort of ease into things. Now you've got, you know, everybody writing the same stories. You got very little information about this team because number one, we haven't seen them in practice. We usually get, you know, a couple, at least a couple looks at them. Um, you know, you get some time to build up to before that first big 10 game, which is interesting because next year they won't because they're supposed to open the season at Wisconsin. But this season, you just, there's so many questions and we are doing this all via Zoom. You and I have been doing the podcast via Zoom for, for a long time, but uh, the, the interviews with Franklin, the interviews with players, and you're really limiting yourself in terms of the information that you can get out of those because, you know, some people got to write COVID stories. Some people got to write Joy Porter stories as you were writing this week. Um, you know, it's just all over the place. So you could get 10 questions with Franklin. Maybe two or three of those might have some value for people like us and people like our listeners on the podcast who want the information on the team and aren't worried about the, the, the fluffy side stories. So it's been a really interesting start to, um, how we handle this, how they handle this. And it's been quite a case study in, in just kind of how, how things work these days. But, but going back to the original point, very excited for football. Um, <laughs> you know, I can't say that <laughs> enough. I've been talking about this Indiana game for a long time and we're going to talk a lot more about the Hoosiers coming up, but dangerous game on the road to start. Obviously it's not the, the softest landing when you talk about starting a, a 2020 season in which you have playoff aspirations. So, I'm excited to see this uh, this team play. I'm excited to see some of the new pieces um, that that Franklin has to work with, and and excited to see just football in general. So, but before we get to that, 
we got some recruiting news, and that's been few and far between, at least for the 2021 class um, over the last couple of months. First commitment since July 17th, Jamari Budden committed. Now Khalil Dinkins is on board, three-star tight end from North Allegheny in the Pittsburgh area. Pretty good athlete, one of the, one of the best players in the state. Yeah, and uh, it's been a long time. We've seen the 2022 class really blow up these recent months, but been slow going. I think since that first week of May when Lonnie White committed, um, there was a long gap between that and Jamari Budden in July, and then there was a 12-week gap between Jamari Budden and now Khalil Dinkins. So, um, you know, we've been kind of grasping for, for names out there, and, and, and Khalil Dinkins has been one. Um, you know, we've got the crystal ball picks uh, in over the past month or so, and you were you and Brian Doan were quick to that. Boston College, Pittsburgh involved there, a pit legacy. So that stirred the pot a little bit in terms of social media conversations some message board stuff as well. Um, ultimately, this is uh, an addition where, you know, he's labeled as a tight end. That's where he plans to play college football. Um, but, you know, you read Brian Doan's scouting report, you watch the film, and, and by the way, Brian's scouting report suggests that he might be a four-star prospect if, if linebacker was the position of choice. So so that turns your attention. You've said, I think, on this podcast, Sean, that he has the kind of athleticism and skill set um, to make an impact elsewhere on the field. You throw that into the fact that Penn State has a lot going on at tight end right now, and even without Pat Fryermuth in the mix next year, we would anticipate you're still going to have Zach Koontz with a sophomore status. You're going to have Brenton Strange as a third-year freshman. You're going to have Tyler Warren as a as a redshirt second-year freshman, and and uh, so it's it's you throw that all together and you wonder what lies ahead for Khalil Dinkins. I'll tell you what. This is precisely the kind of prospect, though, that you take a shot on. Uh, the, the pedigree that he has, dad playing at a high level of football, going on to, to carve out a professional career at the tight end position in the NFL, uh, several seasons at, at the highest level of this sport. Um, and, and by the way, coming from the same high school as, as the kid I just finished writing about, Joey Porter Jr., uh, North Allegheny over there in Western PA. I think there's there's comparisons to be made here because you mentioned and a couple of those guys that you mentioned. I think probably the 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 best comp on the roster right now would be Brenton Strange. I mean, he, this kid uh, Dinkins is about six three and a half. At least the last numbers that we have on him have him about six three and a half, six four in the two twenties. Um, so you know, fairly similar to what Brenton Strange. Brenton Strange is maybe a little bit skinnier, but you put on that tape and he plays both ways so well. You mentioned Joey Porter, and it's not a comparison to Joey Porter, but kind of the same athletic profile. Obviously, the, the NFL bloodlines are one thing, but you've got a guy that you think can maybe blow up when he gets into the college uh, weight program, and you're not sure really which direction that's going to go. For Porter, we thought it may take him to safety. It may take him to outside linebacker. He is you know, stayed at corner. He's starting for Penn State this weekend as a redshirt freshman. So obviously, you know, things have sort of developed well there. I think Dinkins is a guy that, you know, could really, you know, just sort of mature in that that structure and mature in a different level. And, and we've seen guys that have done that. Um, not that he's underdeveloped or anything like that. The kid's a really good athlete. But you put this tape on and you're like, okay, where does he fit in? And then you think to yourself, does it matter right now where he fits in? Because this kid in a couple of years can be something completely different. You see him move laterally. You see him, you know, do a lot of things on the field as a wildcat quarterback, as a receiver, you know, taking jet sweeps and doing all this kind of stuff. And then you, you see him on defense and you're like, you know what? 
if I want to put the athletes like this on defense, I mean, I think I've got a shot because this is a kid that, you know, moves well enough that I think he could be a linebacker. He's got length. We talk about the deficiencies at Penn State's recruiting at defensive end. And you're thinking, okay, maybe this is the way to go. Now, that said, he's going to have every opportunity to catch on as a tight end. But that kind of versatility really, really makes you think and really thinks about the, the potential this kid has. And Doan wrote about it in his breakdowns that maybe maybe this kid's a four-star prospect as an outside linebacker or something like that. I think probably his top ceiling is is at that outside linebacker position. Now, will he end up there? I, I you know, that's that's very far in the future, very hard to say, but a lot of potential at a bunch of different spots. He can roam around the field. He doesn't require the football to, to be engaged, uh, and, and, and that's good to see because, like you said, if the path does lead him elsewhere and ultimately you know, maybe he has a conversation with the coaching staff down the line where uh, you know, they say, hey, your, your personal ceiling, not just for this program, but for you to maximize your football career – is in a different spot than tight end, and 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 I think there's just a lot to be said. This isn't. I mentioned the athleticism, and 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 I want to make sure I'm clear here. This kid's a football player. He's not an athlete out there trying to play football. He's a football player who can find a lot of different roles. He's aggressive. Um, whether he's taking contact with the ball in his hands or dishing it out, I, I really like the physicality uh, with Khalil Dinkins. Um, and, and there is something to be said again. Um, you know, just because your dad played in the NFL and won a Super Bowl. Um, with the New Orleans Saints, by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're destined to reach the NFL, but it does mean you have a you know a, a brain to pick on the matter. Um, you know, I just just writing about Joey Porter Jr. again, a, a product of the same high school. When the when when the campus was shut down, he went home and he learned how to watch film in a different way. He learned um, how to absorb information away from the field and then bring it back to the field a few months later because of who his father is. Now, uh, Khalil Dinkins, um, haven't had the chance to have a, a, a in depth conversation with him at this point. I hope they get there. We'd love to have him on the podcast, maybe down the road. Um, but but just the fact that he can have that resource you know that's another kind of reason why this is the kid you know the the rankings don't jump out to you the rating's not there right now i think he's somewhere just outside the the 700 top 700 range for 24 7 sports composite but there's a lot of things on the resume here that stand out in a positive light and you think you put all that together in a package you get this kid in a, in a college strength and conditioning program and see where you are in a year in a year or two and and, and maybe you really like what you've got at tight end or maybe you really find a fit somewhere else in the field, but this is the kind of athlete and the kind of person from the type of family that you say we can find a spot in this recruiting class of all of all recruiting classes. And his father, Darnell, played at Pitt, and he played a couple different positions at Pitt. He went in, I think, as a quarterback, played some receiver, then started at free safety, and then eventually, you know, as a pro, was a tight end. So, I mean, position changes are not foreign to this family. So, um, I, I, and also, I, I, we talk about him on, you know, playing defense and all this kind of stuff it's about watching his senior film, but pretty good tight end as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this is something we kind of gloss over. He's got great ball skills. That's one thing that jumped out from his junior tape was this kid knew where to find the football, was able to go get it and good hands and, and a lot to work with there. And, you know, if you're joining Penn State's tight end room, and I know that, you know, he, he might be an athlete and might be whatever, but if you're joining Penn State's tight end room, probably a pretty talented player. Yeah, no kidding. And and that's that's kind of the thing. It just feels like such a luxury addition at that particular spot. We've talked about running back. You go with that one in this cycle. 
Same deal with tight end because of the guys you've brought in, a multi-prospect classes that have come before this cycle, and just kind of where things are right now. And and I know a lot of a lot of people on our message boards and just a lot of folks in general. Uh, Bud El- Bud Elliott, national analyst with twenty four seven Sports, wrote a story today up on, on the site about the the balancing act that college coaches are now needing to do in accounting for all the transfer portal opportunities versus taking flyers on guys in this recruiting class who. Um, you know, and you wonder where where they're going to be with that relationship a year from now when they get on campus because of the lack of visits, because they didn't get a chance to see other schools. Are you their fallback plan? Are you making a concession on certain things that normally you wouldn't be comfortable with because of how this recruiting cycle has been structured? Or are you better off saying, you know, let's keep some options in our back pocket and see what the transfer portal looks like before the 2021 season? So I think a lot of folks are maybe viewing adding a tight end right now um, as, as something that's not necessarily like, wow, what a big uh, addition that's going to build momentum for this recruiting class. And I think you pointed this out as well, not seeing a lot of major peer recruiting bump here, but, you know, to, to get the engagement in Western Pennsylvania, you know, I think with Zariah Fisher coming on board, I think Joey Porter Jr., based on everything we hear, is going to have a big season for Penn State football. And I think that is, at the end of the day, um, worth noting as, as Penn State tries to, to to develop those roots. And, you know, Terry Smith's going to do a good job over there. But, uh, you know, I, I, this is the kind of school and the kind of area where, you know, you're happy to, to pull from. And it's been a bit of a dry spell across the state of Pennsylvania in this class for Penn State. Some guys they really wanted, other guys they did not want. But this is only the fourth in-state commitment. Uh, we're still eyeing Derek Davis, uh, maybe being number five down the road in November when he commits. But one of those is a kicker. And so it's not like there's been a lot of splashy pickups in the state of Pennsylvania. So I think this is one that fans should be cautious about overlooking. Easy on the kicker, man. I mean, I was yeah, waiting I know for he's, that, man. He's a pretty good kicker. <laughs> number one in the number country. Number one. San, yeah. Sandra Sahayak. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. I they, they would be nice to get some momentum going. They've, they've done a nice job in the 2022 class in state so far. But, you know, you don't want to just just throw it all away in the 2021 class and move on to the next one. Now, it's an interesting uh, note that you made with uh, with Bud Elliott's story, possibly pocketing scholarships. I mean, that's something that we've talked about in the 2021 class to begin with. I mean, you don't have a ton of scholarships and you, you don't have a ton of information on these guys. So incomplete evaluation versus holding out and, t- and you know, maybe taking a guy that's developed well in the MAC or maybe taking somebody, you know, that can, that can go in and maybe start, make your two deep right away. I look at defensive end and, you know, you're not going to at this point in the system or excuse me, at this point in the cycle, you're not going to find a guy that's going to step right in and be an impact defensive end for you as a recruit. Now, junior college, maybe, but probably not transfer portal. Okay, maybe we're maybe now we're talking. So it's an interesting uh, in and out situation, but uh, yeah, it's definitely something to think about when you're talking about moving towards signing day. Now you did mention Derek Davis Jr. set to announce on November seventh. Uh, was going to visit Georgia this weekend in a trip that I really didn't see come together or coming together. But now all of a sudden he's going to Ohio State. The Buckeyes uh, commits all getting together. I believe at Jack Sawyer's house, one of their uh, five star commits uh, right outside Columbus, and uh, going to get together. Obviously, if you're Penn State, you don't want to see that. I mean, this is a, this is a situation I think everybody feels, including those on the Ohio State side, feel that Penn State has the lead, and Penn State's got to try and close this one out. And 
you don't want to see him visit Ohio State two weeks before he's set to decide. Um, so not sure where that one's going to go. Not sure if that trip's you know completely going to take place. But uh, it's very interesting because they're also still talking about visiting LSU next weekend, which would be the weekend before he he decided. So uh, a lot going on there with Derek Davis. You thought maybe you felt a little bit comfortable, but then again. This is also the Penn State 2021 class. We haven't uh, ditched this cycle completely yet. This is still 2020. Um, and yeah, anything can happen there. But you felt a lot better about this one when he announced his commitment date, I think the end of last week. And, and, and now all of a sudden you've got to weather a trip to Columbus, which is certainly never easy. There's just a little bit of a PTSD vibe with some of this news. I can feel from some of these fans as they nobody as can they make get it the, easy, right? Yeah, you, you just can't make it easy on anybody. It's uh, it's it's tough to deal with this entire cycle, and it's like you you've read the story before, and unfortunately, it hasn't ended well for Penn State. Now, um, I mean, I I could could Derek Davis very well end up at Penn State? Absolutely. Um, still think they got the lead, and still think they're gonna maybe try and convince him not to go to Columbus this weekend, maybe. Uh, try and get up to Penn State at some point, maybe next weekend, uh, just in just to check out the atmosphere for when Ohio State comes to town. But uh, yeah, it's certainly not the news you want to get two weeks before he's supposed to commit. By the time he's ready to make that decision, as you said, November 7th, it'll be about three years, three full years since he picked up a Penn State offer, was the first guy to get one in the 2021 recruiting class a very, very long time ago. You think of all that has changed from a coaching staff perspective, from a roster perspective, it's just a lot going on, and with that lack of official visits to get to schools that are that are far away, as you mentioned, Georgia, LSU, who knows where else he may have wanted to get a chance to to use an official visit if he had been able to have an expenses paid trip. With all that out the window and the longevity in place here, and the the personal connection with Terry Smith, if the kid doesn't pick Penn State, I, I yeah, I, I he's got his reasons, and and I think people just need to let that happen, but if he picks Penn State, it's going to be a huge, huge win at the end of this deal, and a reason to celebrate uh, for Penn State, and and kind of salvage some of, of what has gone awry for the 2021 cycle, but we'll have a couple more weeks to talk about this. I, I just think that uh, I, I don't see really what else Penn State can do to put this in their favor over the course of these years they've recruited with the same coach leading the way, um, and his inability to go see other schools in different parts of the country. He's here in Pennsylvania, yeah. Look, if Ohio State's the one that does it, it's it's a it's a stinging defeat, and it's gonna hurt, and it's gonna be par for the course here. But if he picks Penn State, that's a that's a major victory here at the end of the road. You want to talk about football now? I mean, we've we've talked enough about this 2021 recruiting class while waiting for actual football to take place, and uh, we're gonna have it on Saturday. In Bloomington, Indiana, Mark Brennan representing our crew out there. A tricky situation with being able to cover travel games this year from a lot of different vantage points. Mark's on this one. I'm slated to do a couple. We'll see how it all goes. We're navigating our way. As of now, uh, Mark and myself both plan to be in Beaver Stadium um, for the Ohio State matchup on Halloween. Sean will be in our control center, uh, keeping us all on track. And and uh, and and so that's the plan for now. We'll let you know if it changes. Like every else our works our work situations have also been altered by the events of 2020 but Sean weird situation for us weird situation for Penn State and Indiana they're coming out of the gates they finally get to play football and there will be no one in Memorial Stadium to watch them you don't think of Memorial Stadium as a typically tough atmosphere to play, but you know Penn State has played close games uh, out in Bloomington. Last three games have gone deep into the fourth quarter, uh, two uh, one-score games out there, and then the the one where Torrance Brown picked up the fumble with a, under a minute left to to make it a two-score game. So been tight games every time they go out there. I don't know what it is. I don't. You know, it's usually a 
one of those typical noon kicks where you just you start slow and sleepwalk through, and then all of a sudden you you, you find yourself in a game in the third quarter. Um, I, I'm I am so intrigued to see what and, and not this is not just a Penn State Indiana thing, but across the conference what this is going to look like. We've seen it, you know, at, in other schools and or excuse me, in other games and programs and everything like that this year. But I'm just it it it, it hits different when it's a team that you know sort of in and out. So will they be able to to get juiced up? Will this be a slow start? Will this be a 10-7 ball game at halftime? You know, it's one of those things where you're just not sure which direction it can go. It's just going to be weird. And 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 I have them as a close game. We'll get into predictions later. But uh, there's some matchups here that uh, really could, could, could swing the tide in this. Yeah, we'll both be giving you our score predictions a bit later in the show. Again, Zach Osterman from the Indy Star coming your way to give you a lot of details on Indiana. Uh, the Big Ten schedule kicks off uh, a Friday night, actually, in Wisconsin. It's Wisconsin hosting Illinois. The Saturday slate is Rutgers at Michigan State, Nebraska at Ohio State, Iowa at Purdue, Michigan at Minnesota, Maryland at Northwestern, and of course the game we're talking about right here. I'd imagine we're going to see some team out, teams come out, lay an egg. Maybe some teams come out and, and look really strong to start, That surprisingly strong. Um, the expectation here is is Penn State's going to win, but the margin of error uh, is decreasing in the eyes of Las Vegas. I think you've got this uh, at, at five and a half, uh, according to Caesars, William Hill, um, which is down from, what was it, a full seven uh, when this line came out earlier in the week? Yeah, I think it was a seven before the Journey Brown news, and it's going to creep that way. Um, I don't know what else ha- would have changed it unless, you know, you just look at the history and everything and you see that they, they've been, you know, one score game. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, five and a half points. I, I, I think I had it about six and a half. And, you know, that makes it, it's not a ton of difference, but a, a point and a half could, could swing a lot of money. Not that we're talking gambling here. Um, but you, you get back into the game. Um, and, and to me, it's, it's, going to be Kirk Shiraka's, you know, big debut, whatever. Um, you know, you got uh, the opportunity to play a defense that he's played against before Tom Allen. Uh, I, I sat down and watched way too much 2018 Minnesota against Indiana this week and, and wrote way too much about it. Um, I it do was, it was very much out. appreciated. I think it was, though. it was enlightening. Uh, I hope cause I was numb. My brain was numb <laughs> by the end of it. Um, but it, it, it was interesting cause you saw a lot of things that we saw, you know, from the Minnesota tape that we've watched from Kirk Shiraka and you see a lot of things. Tom Allen's defense is kind of in 2018 and obviously personnel is different. A lot, a lot's different there, but in terms of coverages, in terms of what the style that they like to play is not going to be all that different. And, and what's also not all that different is Indiana's, uh, personnel for the most part is, is pretty much the same as it was last year, returning a lot of starters out there in Bloomington. So I, I found that interesting. Um, a lot of RPO, a lot of stuff across the middle. And that's a, a sort of a focus that, that I like to see this week is getting Pat Fryermuth, getting, uh, Jahan Dotson. We're not sure what Parker Washington Washington's going to bring to the table, but it sounds pretty good. I'm I'm in for that one. Um, but getting those guys across the middle, making some some things happen. Uh, Indiana's had a couple of injuries so far. I'm going to talk. Uh, you know, when I talk to Zach or later in the uh, in the show, he's going to talk about the depth and and the things that they've had to deal with. So I'm I'm very interested to see this passing game and how it goes against the Indiana secondary. Indiana thinks their secondary, you know, is is the strength of their defense. And if you look at the experience that they have back there, the guys that you know have played a lot of football. For for them. That's great. I don't have Marcelino Ball, who's a very, very good sort of attacking safety kind of hybrid that plays 
um, that their Husky position, which is sort of a, eh, it could be, it's kind of like the star at Penn State, the Rover position or whatnot. Uh, so that linebacker safety hybrid, he blitzes a lot. His replacement, uh, Fitzgerald doesn't blitz as much and, and really isn't as natural at that. So it'd be very interesting to see how this RPO attack, uh, sort of keys on that Husky position. Uh, Brian Fitzgerald's, I believe is his name and what's that's going to do for your passing game to open it up in other spots. Ball is a big, uh, big absence for them. More than 200 career tackles, and I think with Indiana, we talked about this before recording. You know, you see good team defense here, but there's not a lot of game records. A lot of guys that that seem like they're capable of of shifting, uh, consistently shifting the narrative of a game on the defensive side of the football. And I think if you look at the way that Penn State has recruited, and we'll find out about developing talent, but they have those guys uh, on their offensive arsenal. You mentioned the passing attack. Continue to hear rave reviews on Parker Washington. Uh, more of that from cornerbacks coach Terry Smith earlier today on Thursday. And 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 Sean Clifford again raved about him. He recalled Jared Parker, former wide receivers coach, saying, you got to watch this kid. Sean doesn't normally watch the, the incoming players. Um, but but he was told to sit down and watch a little bit of Parker Washington because he was going to meet an immediate impact guy. And he certainly is in the starting lineup. But the one component that we haven't seen Kirk Shiraka really work with is that tight end position. It has not been a featured spot for him. I want to see what they what they utilize uh, Pat Fryermuth for. I, I have a really hard time seeing Indiana come up with answers for him, particularly working in the middle of the field. Um, and I think also that you know, what is Brent Strange going to do in, in his debut as this number two option at the tight end position? Um, there's a lot going on there. And Cam Sullivan Brown's a good story. Is, can he get involved early? That would be great to see. I think Jahan Dotson to me is kind of. I don't want to say it's a storyline that's not been discussed enough, but I think maybe it has because I feel like he's getting a lot of like pegged into that number one receiver spot and people are like very comfortable with it. And this is not me knocking Jahan Dotson, but he's got 40 career college catches. He had 27 last year. He had 13 the year before, and he had 27 last year working with KJ Hamler and working with Pat Fryermuth. Um, he had five touchdowns last year. That, 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 that's a strong number for, for the volume he got. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that that Jahan Dotson is going to be the clear number one guy, play like that. I I think he has the ability to do it. There's a lot of confidence in him. Uh, He is uh, the tone setter in that receiver group, I believe. He came onto campus and and, and surprised people with how quickly he was ready to start in Big Ten matchups. Uh, But this is a receiver room that, that needs a boost. And I feel like an early indication from Jahan Dotson that he is truly taking that step forward seeing him click with Sean Clifford, that would really do a lot to me to relieve some of the anxiety about this receiver room because we always say uh, everybody but Deshaun, Jahan Dotson and kind of focus in on them. But I think we also need to say Jahan Dotson hasn't done it yet at the college level to say he's a set it and forget it top receiver in your room already. I, I would agree with some of that. I will say I've heard a lot of good things about Dotson in, in camp and sort of stepping up in that role. And, you know, Parker Washington came in, so you gave him the ability to move back to that position that he was more familiar with last year. Um, what's I think probably the hesitancy here is your number one wide receiver is probably not going to be your number one pass catching receiver. You know, that's going to be Pat Fryermuth. And I think also it's going to be worth noting that, that Tom Allen in the past has really focused on, you know, focused on one guy. And I think that's going to be Fryermuth this week. So what's that going to open up? They play a lot of man, but 
I don't think that you can cover Pat Firemuth with that Husky or with that, uh, that off safety. And does that, do you bring another safety over top to help with him? And what does that open up on the other side for Parker Washington on this, uh, on these slants for, uh, for, for Jahan Dotson? And then also Cam Sullivan Brown's probably overlooked in the sense that, Hey, this is a guy that's got to move the sticks. I mean, I don't know that he's going to be beating too many guys down the field or, you know, just breaking off big play. Nine, after big 10 play. yards. You know, that's, yeah. that's what you need out of him. Exactly. And, and there's a role for those guys. And, and I think Cam Sullivan Brown certainly with his veteran presence is certainly the guy that, that sort of, uh, chiseled out for that role. So, so I agree with you to an extent on Dotson, but I think he's, you know, he's probably being undersold just because we're not, we're, we're so, we're, we are so focused on those other guys. We are so focused on who's going to step up and be the other guys. And, and going back to what I said earlier, he might be your number one wideout. He probably not going to be your number one receiver. So, um, there's, there's, there's reason for doubt there, but I think there's reason for optimism there, given that, you know, he has been fairly productive. You mentioned what five touchdowns last year. Um, pretty good. You know, he, he was able to, to sort of get in there and get across the middle of the field, which is something that some receivers on this roster or that were previous on this roster didn't do a very good job of. I like him running those, you know, those 15 to 17 yard dig routes, which, you know, he's broken for big plays. He almost broke that one against Minnesota last year, had the long touchdown against Purdue last year. So if you can get him in the middle of the field and, you know, we saw that with Minnesota last year, they love the slants. They love the things that, that get that ball across the middle and, and let your receivers do some things. If Dotson can, can sort of thrive in that role, that's a, that's a good spot to be. Yeah, I, I want to make sure I'm not calling Dotson uh, an overrated commodity for Penn State. I am saying that maybe we are all kind of forgetting to talk about him needing to take that next step and just assuming it will happen because KJ Hamler's gone and he's the only guy who's actually gone out there and, and, and made plays in Big Ten football. Cam Sullivan Brown next up with 12 career catches. So we'll see. That's the mystery room. We're going to start to learn about it. Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert will have, uh, I would, I'd imagine, early opportunities to make their mark and, and show what they've got. Um, but but to me, this this comes down to the fact that Indiana, uh, you know, uh, unless proven wrong, I think they're going to have a, a really difficult time generating a pass rush with their front four. And that means they're going to need to expose themselves. And I think that's where you see Pat Fryermuth come through. You can see Parker Washington out of the slot come up with some big catches on on targets. And additionally, uh, you know, how are you going to utilize this running back group? We, we've talked about the depth there. Guy I keep going back to a, a, as a threat in the passing game, and I think we'll get a chance to see that. And, and I think you can expose some programs with it. Is Devin Ford? And, you know, is he going to be utilized in that capacity? I think if Penn, if if Indiana figures out uh, pretty quickly that Sean Clifford is going to be too comfortable unless they're investing a fifth or sixth rusher from the second level. It, it's it's going to really, I think, open things up for Penn State across the middle, over the middle, where that can set the stage for a lot. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, I think we're going to see the, the start of a very beautiful, beautiful relationship between Noah Kane and the way he runs the football and this offensive line and what I think they will look like under Phil Trautwine. Yeah, watching some more Minnesota tape this week, it's just it's evident that 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 line gets moving in the same direction. They go and they just go with it, and that's you know sometimes you get a little cute when you're running the football, and then you get tackles for loss. You get you know you get hung up in the backfield. I don't know that we're going to see a ton of that with Noah Kane. So I'm excited to see what can happen. And you mentioned the lack of pass rush. Those defensive ends are fine for Indiana. But I don't think they're they're really scaring anybody. So you can get some of that outside zone. You can get uh, you know you can get Noah Kane to the edge. Maybe get Devin Ford. Maybe those freshmen get in there and get involved. Um, but yeah, you've got an opportunity to get this running game starting to go together. So um, I I think that that's an interesting 
sort of proposition. I think the defensive tackles for Indiana, probably better than you think. I mean, they've got a couple of guys that have a lot of experience in there. They've got more size than they usually do. You usually think of Indiana and think of maybe a, a typical undersized uh, front four, but I think three guys over 315 or, or excuse me, 305. So uh, that's some legitimate bulk in there. So I'm interested to see that match up with the, uh, the new interior guy, you know, sort of the uh, you make it with, uh, with Mike Miranda and, and Michael Mennett and CJ, excuse me. Yeah. CJ Thorpe. Um, we don't have CJ Holmes. We well, don't Des have Holmes, Holmes involved anymore, there. Uh, but you do have Des Holmes. Yes. Des Holmes. Uh, CJ Holmes got, yeah. got me for a second there. Um, but yeah, this, that's, that's an interesting battle that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they handle that. And it's, it's, it's all about numbers. And if you talk about this, this kind of offense, you're trying to figure out what's the best look that you can get. If they have to account for Pat Frymuth, if they have to bring in an extra safety on top of him, I think that running game can really, uh, thrive from that. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I just, you talk about Indiana and, and, and their defensive line. You, you, you know, you like what you see there. It's, it's not like Indiana is going to get blown off the ball over and over again, but maybe, maybe Penn State's offensive line does, you know, show us that they are turning a corner and they show us early and they show us week one. And I mean, that's where I, I just, I look at the potential advantage here. And, um, it's not just that, that the fact that Troutwine is here now, there was going to be some excitement about the experience on this offensive front. Um, but, but Troutwine's addition, what we've heard about what that has looked like on the practice field from not just guys on offense, but guys in the defensive huddle and how it just feels different up front for the offense. I, I think you factor in some of the blue chip talent that you've brought in. We're going to see some more of Caden Wallace, Rashid Walker, second year. This to me feels like the perfect opportunity where if your offensive line truly has taken a step, and I know it's not fair to expect them to be on all cylinders week one. You'd love to see some tune-up games out of conference before you get here and really see what you're working with and, and what works, what doesn't, and mixing and matching some of these guys. But to me, if we're going to see the offensive line uh, in a different light this year, truly a different light, um, it's going to start this week and it's going to be noticeable to me, Sean. Yeah, and we'd, we'd usually see that in a non-conference, you know, just some sort of uh, gelling or something like that. So, yeah, you're right. It's uh, it, It's got to be... I don't want to say it's got to be precise right off the bat, but it's got to be, you know, running pretty, pretty smoothly right off the bat. So see what happens. You flip it over and Indiana's going to try and throw the ball. They've got a very good running back in Stevie Scott, another former Rutgers commit running back that's having success in the Big Ten. Sorry, I had to get that one in there. Um, but uh, no, you look at the passing game. Michael Penix is the guy that, you know, it's all going to come down to. Very, very talented. Um, he's had some issues with durability, staying on the field. He got hurt against Penn State two years ago. He was hurt for the Penn State game last year, and Peyton Ramsey came in through for 300 and some yards. So um, 371. Yeah, that was that was a lot of yards, um, but uh, no, I mean it's a uh, it, it's a passing game that's going to try and hurt you. The Watt failure was very you know uh, a very big part of what Indiana's uh, was successful with early in the game last year. Even though the, the numbers weren't huge for him, once he got hurt, things kind of changed. Uh, Ty Freifogel uh, sort of beat them down the field uh, was the vert- more vertical threat, and he had a, a really big game for them. And they're both back this year, so you're going to have to account for both of those guys and uh, not really 
really sure the status of Peyton Hendershot. He's a very talented tight end. He's he's been good for them at times, and you know he got in some trouble this offseason. So I'm not sure if that's a situation where we're going to see him or not. Um, but they've got some guys that can catch the ball. What's interesting to me is Penn State's secondary, which you know is starting to get a little bit more hype. You t- we talked to Terry Smith uh, earlier today, said they could be one of the best groups that Penn State's had. But still, there's a lot of unproven there. Tariq Castro-Fields has to come back and do his thing and, um, you know, get you know, play that healthy Tariq Castro-Fields that we think that he can be. On the other side, you got Porter Jr. And then those safeties come along. I'm expecting big things from Jaquan Brisker. Now, to me, communication is going to be huge. Uh, we watched that team last year and you're, you're watching corners passing off uh, receivers to nobody in particular when the safeties are supposed to be there. So those safeties have to pick it up with the communication. That entire back seven has to pick it up, especially with three uh, new linebackers. So it's going to be very interesting to see, um, you know, how Indiana goes about attacking these, uh, these, this secondary and, and how Penn State responds back there. When I think of that final stretch of the 2019 season, aside from Journey Brown running through and around everybody in sight, is kind of that defensive backfield. It felt like after so many plays, the body language, guys putting their arms up, looking around, wondering what went wrong. And that's exactly what you're talking about, diagnosing that stuff so you don't have to look back after the play and shake your head and say, whose fault was that? What did we miss? Hurry up. We got to get we got another play to cover in 15, 20 seconds. Um Last year, uh, it was an issue. And the reason I was so quick with that 371 yards is because Terry Smith brought that up today on the phone call. I think he has been hammering home the way they finished the season and doing everything they possibly can to avoid that being the defining theme for them in 2020. Um, and, and man, you listen to Terry Smith. If you want to feel good about this defensive secondary, you should have popped onto this Zoom call today, folks, because you know, I wrote up about Joey Porter Jr., who, you know, Terry Smith basically says went out there and and basically boat raced everybody at cornerback and put together just a tremendous preseason practice where his peers, the coaching staff, there was no surprise that he was named starter. A lot of folks uh, from the external side of things looking at this and saying, how did that happen? It didn't seem like it came by a surprise to anybody at that team facility by the time they got to late October that he was the number one guy. But what stood out to me, and Sean, you have really been bringing up Jaquan Brisker at a lot of different turns this, this offseason as a breakout candidate, as a his second year coming in from Lackawanna after an All-American career there. He says he thinks Jaquan Brisker is going to be a household name, and he actually doubled down and said a household name in week one. He thinks he's going to go do some special things against Indiana on Saturday that's really going to put him on the map. And And Terry Smith says... He's not sure, but he feels like this is the first time that Penn State will have four defensive backs together who get drafted. He said, maybe do your own dig and do some research to see if I'm right there. He says he feels like four guys, all four of these stars will get drafted, and and then he really likes the depth that they have. But I think you're right on the communication. I think I think when you look at how who, who you're covering at this wide receiver group, two guys you've dealt with before, uh, with Wap Fillior, it, it's going to be a lot of the horizontal. It's going to be a, a, a lot of the two way go stuff out of the slot. Um, you know, it, it's going to be trying to shake off that first defender and then picking up yards and turning a, a short short pass completion, a quick pass completion, which I think that's going to be really important for Michael Panics because I do have faith in Penn State's defensive front, particularly off that edge, to apply some pressure here. But Penix has shown a, a, the ability to get that ball out of his hands fast, you know, move up in the pocket a bit, buy himself a little bit of time. He's not that dual threat monster runner that some people want to make him out to be. He's at his best when he's in that pocket, making quick decisions and getting the ball away. And, and in fact, last year, although he missed those final six games, he set a uh, Indiana Hoosiers record 
for the highest completion percentage. He was up close to 70% completion percentage on the year. I think to me, when you look at the vertical threat, and it felt like that's what killed Penn State so often down the stretch last year, that's when you take a look uh, over at Freifogel, uh, which is just fun to say, but he's not fun to cover. This is a guy that will get you on the fade, will get you on the back shoulder, and and ultimately, I think that's where you're going to be tested. you got to keep a, a lid on that. Jerry, uh, Joey Porter Jr., Tariq Castro-Fields, both of them had the length. Both of them ha- have, have earned the praise from this coaching staff. Uh, I mean, this is this is a perfect opportunity to make your statement because, again, this is a team that torched you last year. Um, and, and, and they've got a passer that people think could be the big 10 breakout. Potentially they've got the weapons around them. Hendershot comes back after setting Hoosiers records last year for, for receptions in a season and yards in a season for a tight end. There's a lot to like about the Indiana passing game. There's a lot to be wary about with the Penn state defensive, uh, ability, uh, in that back end. This is where, if you can put the clamps down on this one on Saturday in Bloomington on the road, that would be a heck of a of a you know shot across the bow for everybody else in the Big Ten. Yeah, and we'll see if that length shows up. I mean, we talk all that time about uh, you know Joey Porter is is ridiculously long. Tariq Castro Fields is no slouch in that area himself. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's where it's got to show up is those balls down the field with uh, with Fry or to Fry Fogel, and you know you, you you may not you may get a hand on a ball that John Reed you know John Reed for as great as he was man coverage you know he was limited physically so. Um, we'll, we'll see if that, if that shows up. Uh, and Sean, with the- Porter, if I can just say one more thing about Joey Porter, we talked about the length. He's faster than they thought he was coming out of high school. He's got all this tremendous athleticism. We're going to learn about the awareness now, right? That's what we're going to get a nice sense for in the game, in the heat of a moment. He has killed it on the practice field. When he's tested, how's that awareness going to be? How is he going to react and respond if he's beaten? These are all the kind of things that we just don't know about him because last year he just did not play much. And that's the that question we'll start to get answered week one. Very good. Very good. And you mentioned Jerry Porter, and it just struck my mind. I was trying to figure out who Jerry <laughs> Porter was. Receiver from the Raiders, right? Receiver from the Raiders. Okay, I played yeah. West Virginia. So he's 42 <laughs> years old now. So that's uh, that's amazing to me. Right sport, um, at least. At least I got the right sport. Yes. So um, to, to, for me, the last thing I want to say here before we go to break, Michael Penix uh, is – I'm not going to call him fragile because the, the injuries have been a little freak and, you know, here and there, but you can hit him and you can, I think you can rattle him a bit. And I think he's, you know, tremendously talented when he has time to do what he's, you know, what he does. I mean, he's, he's very good at that. You get, you get him time to get in the pocket. He's not a natural scrambler. He's not a natural runner, but he will pick up some, uh, some yards on the ground. Rhythm I guy. Mean, yeah, he's a rhythm guy, so you got to get to him. And I think that that's where we're going to see the first test for John Scott Jr. is can you sort of keep that pocket with your defensive tackles and go after him with your ends? We're going to see what they, they have in mind for blitzing these linebackers. I, I think there's a lot that uh, you know you can bring at them. They're replacing a couple of starters up front. Coy Cronk was a starter for them last year and grad transferred to Iowa, which was you know kind of out of nowhere. So they're going to start – Two new, uh, two new guards. One's a grad transfer from Stanford. Other one's Michael Kadick from down in the Pittsburgh area. The, he's a young guy that they like a lot, but I think this is a game that you can potentially get to them. Now they're going to get the ball out fast. So you're not always going to get to them, but get your shots in while you can. And I'm not advocating hurting anybody, but Michael Penix has been a guy that's, you know, struggled to stay on the field at times. So we will see what happens, uh, from that aspect because you don't have Peyton Ramsey as a backup this year. It's going to drop off a bunch more. Um, so, you know, you get to Penix, you knock him out of his, of his game. I'm not saying knock him out of the game, but you knock him out of his rhythm. You knock him out of his game. And all of a sudden it might be a different ball game. 
feels like you have the components to do that with your front four uh, this year. And, and and I feel like we've talked our way around this entire field, except for one position that despite all the talent there and, and all the success recruiting and, and the names that we like, linebacker at oh, Penn State. I thought you were going to go with long snapper. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a bigger fan of Jesse Lucchetta than most. I think Ellis Brooks is ready for this moment based on the experience he's 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 gotten in his back pocket the last couple of years and, and where he is right now physically and mentally. And I think Brent, I think the world of what Brandon Smith can be. But these three guys playing together for the first time without someone to look toward as that starter. And I think Jesse Lucchetta, they, they keep referring to him as kind of the linchpin and, and the on-field leader. But man, it's it's just it's a spot where as as much blue chip talent is there, and you've got the same linebackers coach who's been with James Franklin since day one at Penn State. It's just you just don't know until you see it. You just yeah, don't know. I agree with you, and and we're gonna have to see it. I mean, there's really no going back from this. And and to me, one one of the interesting matchups here is you try to get the, push that ball to the perimeter with a guy like Wap Fillier. That's gonna put some pressure on Brandon Smith and Jesse Lucchetti, your outside linebackers, to make those tackles. And I think Smith's a little bit quicker to the ball than uh, you know we've seen Jesse be, especially in space. And you know that that's good on one side. We'll see what happens with those guys because that that. Certainly, you know, you'll, you'll, you just, you just lose so much when you lose Micah. I mean, I that, let's, <laughs> let's just be honest with you. I mean, we talked about it on the last show. You lose your game breakers. Okay. You've got this deep, talented room with a couple of five stars and everything like that. And that's fine. But when you lose your best player, you lose a lot. So be interesting to see how he fits in, uh, or excuse me, how Smith fits with that role, how Luketta fits with that role. And does Lance Dixon come up and play some more? Does, is Curtis Jacobs ready to go right off the bat? Cause I don't see them, you know, playing around too much, especially on the road and especially with this early season. I mean, you've got games later in the year where you can experiment and linebacker, uh, you're not going to have that opportunity right off the bat. I know with 100% certainty that there will be multiple times each game this season where, well, if we were in the press box together, we'd turn and look at each other and say it, but I guess maybe we'll text it or Zoom it. Michael would have made that play. You just hope you're not saying that phrase too often over the course of these games. Michael would have made that play. You're going to say it because there's going to be certain spots where you just think a 30-yard gain would have been a five, six-yard gain because Micah erases other people's mistakes. That's something he was excellent at. But you just hope you're not repeating it and repeating it and repeating it because that's where you run into the issues. But we'll find out so much. We, we we haven't seen this team on the practice field. I want to reiterate that. Uh, if we sound puzzled about some of this more so than normal, uh, we just don't know what these guys look like playing on the football field together. And we're going to find out with you on Saturday. So stay tuned with that for us. In the meantime, Zach Osterman from the Indy Star is going to join us to break down more about what Indiana brings to the football field. Then we're back with our game predictions, a mailback question and we'll take you into game day. Stay with us right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.
We turn now to bring in our special guest, Zach Osterman of the Indy Star. Zach, of course, has been on the show before, previewed Indiana with us last year. Zach, this was the year that I was supposed to come and crash at your house and spend time with your family and meet your lovable, destructive dogs. And unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. But there's still a football game Saturday nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 all a bit weird, isn't it? Like, it's, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm going anywhere. And nobody really needs to. I don't know what Penn State's doing, but like Indiana's all Zooms. Like, you know, we're not going to see any of these people in person for months. So in theory, there's not a ton of difference between being in a press box and being on my couch and other than, you know, social distancing. Of course. Uh, don't tell people that because we, we still want to travel and have the ability to travel afterwards. So don't uh, let's not tell anybody yes, that. It's definitely true. <laughs> but the game. And itself, uh, I don't get those tasty Michigan State press box hot dogs this year. That's uh, what's really killing me. Oh, that's the worst. That's the worst. I know I complain a lot about Penn State's press box, but Michigan State's press box food, just the worst. Um, moving on to the game, obviously, it's a close one every time they play. And that's, you know, it's not indicative when you take a look at the series record, obviously heavy, heavily skewed toward Penn State. But Indiana plays Penn State tough every time. I mean, that's been the case the last couple of years. Uh, came down to, you know, late in the fourth quarter last year, has, has done that a couple of times. What's different about this Indiana team or what's the same about this Indiana team? You and I were talking beforehand. It's not a lot of unknowns going into the season for Indiana, despite some coaching changes and despite some new personnel. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Indiana this year is like Indiana is like the team is the team. Um, I think they're second only to Northwestern in the conference and return in percentage of returning production uh, per Bill Connolly. They're first on defense now that number's probably dipped a little bit because Marcelino Ball got hurt, but you're still talking about, you know, if if a, if a Penn State fan sits down to Saturday's game, and I don't expect them to, Lord knows, but if they did with you know last year's box score, they and they 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 sort of started comparing it to what they're seeing on the screen, they'd see a lot of the same names. Um, you know, Indiana is returning its top three receivers, its top two running backs, uh, three starters on the offensive line. Obviously, Michael Penix is back. You know, basically every starter on defense save Marcelino Ball. You could maybe make a case for one of their safeties, but they rotate that position so heavily anyway that it's not really, it's not really like you lost because just because Khalil Bryant graduated doesn't mean there's this huge hole in their rotation. So the question for Indiana is essentially just like how much can they move from solid last season when they win eight games, you know, best season Indiana's had in 25 years to spectacular or something sort of resembling spectacular, does that come from the growth of a player like Watt Fillier or Michael Penix? Does it come from, um, you know, some new ideas at offensive coordinator? Not that Indiana wanted to lose Kalen DeBoer, but obviously, you know, when he's offered a head coaching job, he's not going to stick around. Um, you know, you just I, – we just don't know the answers to those questions. They're the sorts of answers we'd get from a non-conference season. We obviously don't have one. Um, and so it's it's kind of one where, on the one hand – everybody's probably coming into this season feeling a little bit like, you know, boy, we're not going to know, and you know, we're, we're not going to be sure until we can see it. You know, we're not going to know till we know, but at the same time with Indiana, it, you know, that as much as you, you know, when I've been putting the off season pieces together, that sort of like, Oh, what are the questions this team has? Well, it's, it's not really about can somebody emerge or how do you fill this hole? It's much more sort of like, can guys take further steps forward? Can they grow a, another level up? Um, that's kind of where Indiana's at this at this point. 
And I'm, I've spoken about Tom Allen before. I'm a big fan of what, the job that he's been able to do, but they, they seem to be raising that talent level, whereas there's a couple of guys, and I know um, there was an injury in the secondary recently, but there's been a couple of guys that have sort of been passed up by younger talent. It seems to be right in that junior, sophomore class, and even you've talked about a couple of true freshmen have really not really turned the corner, but it just is a more talented roster there or, or like from top to bottom. It is, and I think it's it's probably the even more accurate way to say it is it's a deeper roster, and and that's what always gets Indiana in these games. And I'm not saying Indiana is going to win on Saturday. Uh, you know, I I probably shade toward a Penn State win, but what always gets Indiana when they play Penn State tough or Michigan tough or Ohio State tough is that they got to rely too much on their their front line guys, and you know, like the the the, the sort of um, the moment that always sticks with me is is Tom Allen's first year. They opened with Ohio State, and it was close. I think Indiana even led by a point going into the fourth quarter. And Ohio State kind of exploded for three straight touchdowns, touchdowns on three straight drives. And one of them came because um, Indiana had just played D. Gray Scales all night, all-American linebacker. And finally they pulled him out, and they replaced him with a redshirt freshman backup. And Ohio State saw it, uh, just ran Paris Campbell across the middle in front of the kid, who is never going to be able to cover Paris Campbell and he caught it, turned up field for a touchdown. And that's, that's what gets Indiana is either a, their best players run out of gas first because they don't have the depth or B when they do lean on that depth, they lose too much. I think that's what's improved as much as anything else. And it's still obviously not at the level of the top teams in the conference. I don't think anybody would, would suggest that, but the fall off from your ones to your twos and your ability to rotate, uh, is is much better than it was, let's say, five years ago, and certainly 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when Indiana was consistently just kind of at the bottom of the conference. Um, and that's what I think has taken this this team to be one that, you know, suddenly, hey, it's three bowl games in five years. That's the, the best they've done in 30 years. Um, you know, five of the last seven bucket games they've won. They're recruiting better. Does that add up at some point to finally winning one of these games? We'll see. Um, and, you know, maybe the weirdness of this season to come with no fans and, you know, bad weather and you would imagine some some strange, you know, roster management just because of, of COVID situations. Well, I don't know, maybe. Um, but I think at, at very least what Indiana is now is just much more sort of solid, at least two deep, in some places probably even three deep, and I think that that's always kind of been what's eluded the program and recruiting and development has been, you know, figuring out how to not just maybe land four or five guys a class that can really make a difference at the level Indiana operates. But if you go back and look at the lowest ranked kids in the last two or three recruiting classes for Indiana, they're guys that are still making a difference. You know, Michael McFadden was the lowest rated player in his class. He was Indiana's leading tackler last season as a sophomore. Watt Fillier was not highly rated. He had a thousand yards receiving last season. And I can find you guys that don't even have half that impact, but they're still fortifying a position somewhere. And I think that's the difference for IU. Yeah, something better than nothing, certainly. Um, lost Kalen DeBoer to the head coaching job. Obviously, Nick Sheridan's going to step up and be the uh, offensive coordinator. Do you expect much difference from him? I mean, I know that, you know, his, his doesn't have an extensive background, but seems, it seems a lot of people are high on him for being essentially a young kid in the profession. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's sort of one of those, 
uh, I know you and I both have an affinity for soccer and, and sometimes I think a, a metaphor people use when young players come up as well. If we, if we signed somebody as good as he looks, we'd all be excited, but because he comes from, because he's internal, it, it doesn't feel quite so, you know, quite so electric. Um, you know, on one hand, I mean, Nick Sheridan's the youngest offensive coordinator in the conference. Um, not by a ton, but he is the youngest. Um, and, you know, it, it, at the same time, I think he's been very much on this track for a while. You know, he's worked for Willie Taggart. He's worked for Butch Jones. Um, you know, he's he's been at pretty much every level of FBS. Um, on the other hand, I think a lot of IU fans, and, and listen, even me, you know, sitting here sort of in a position of neutrality, but looking at what Indiana, Indiana paid Kalen DeBoer close to a million dollars last year, got really aggressive with that offensive coordinator position, just sort of figured on the back of an eight and, f- eight and five season, they do it again. And then they just go internal. And I think a lot of people thought, well, wait, that doesn't make any sense. But I think it, it's also one where if Indiana had hired Nick Sheridan from, you know, the, I, 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 I don't know, from Tennessee, and he had, you know, he, he basically done the same thing at Tennessee. He's done it at Indiana and had the same career up to that point. I think, I think people would be a lot more interested in saying, okay, what's this guy bringing? This is an intriguing hire. He's young. He's up and coming. He's really promising. Um, I don't think the offense is, is going to change very much. I'm sure there's going to be some preferences, you know, some, just, just some stuff that he likes to do that maybe Kalen DeBoer didn't like as much. Um, I, you know, we've one of the biggest debates I've had in my own head about this team is, is whether Tom Allen actually does want to run the ball more this season. Like he said, he's, he said that for three years and Indiana's never finished better than seventh in the conference in rushing yards per game. Um, I think at very least what Indiana wants to do is be able to run the ball more efficiently and, and run it better in, you know, sort of clock management situations. But one way or another, the structure of the offense, the scheme, the personnel, the deployment, I don't think that will change very much. Um, and I think that ultimately really, this is kind of the, this is the offense Tom Allen wants and he wants coordinators that can put it together for him. And obviously Sheridan worked with something similar under Mike DeBoard at Tennessee, obviously was very much sort of DeBoard's right-hand man, his first two years at IU and actually quietly, despite the fact that Kalen DeBoer kind of kicked him over to tight ends because DeBoer wanted to coach QBs last season. Um, Sheridan was almost basically assistant quarterbacks coach last year. Um, if you watched on the sideline, he was the one huddling with the QBs between drives, going through things, whatever. So I think if nothing else, he's certainly qualified and he's also certainly going to give Indiana a real sort of level of, um, institutional knowledge because he had a hand in recruiting and developing a lot of the guys on this roster it'll just be a question of, of how much of a learning curve I suppose there is for a young coordinator, for a guy that's never called plays and didn't get a spring game, you know, didn't get a non-conference schedule. Um, I know Indiana has actually sort of adapted their scrimmage situations to basically be a little bit more sort of random so that Nick Sheridan can get more of a feel for calling plays and having to react to certain things. Um, but you're just, you know, 
nothing's going to trade. Nothing's going to sub in for the real thing there. And I think that's just kind of the big sort of lingering question with him. No, that makes sense. And last year, Penn State faced uh, Peyton Ramsey at quarterback because Michael Penix was hurt. Uh, What type of expectations do uh, IU fans, people covering the program have for Penix? I think he's a tremendously talented guy. Obviously, he's got the big arm. Um, What, uh, I I guess, what's the realistic, you know, I guess, how should Penn State fans, fans feel about how much Michael Penix could hurt them this weekend? Well, I, I mean, I certainly think he can hurt him. I think he's, a, you know, speaking objectively, I, I think he's a fantastic quarterback. Um, you know, when he is kind of in his groove, he can make pretty much all the throws. Um, the question, the, the biggest question he's got to answer is just his durability because, you know, even even behind the best offensive line in the Big Ten, and I don't think Indiana's going to have the best offensive line in the Big Ten, but even behind him, you're still going to get hit. You're still going to take hits. You're still going to scramble sometimes. I think he, you know, he's he's. I don't think he ran a lot in high school, and so even though he is very athletic, and when he gets into the open field and opens his stride up, he can be pretty fast. I don't think he's someone who, you know, spent a lot of time in high school learning how to absorb hits and, you know, how to how to maybe sort of, you know, glance off some of the contacts so you don't take the brunt of the hit. Um, two years ago, obviously, he tears his ACL against Penn State. That's just sort of a freak injury. I think he was actually trying to slide and kind of bent his knee underneath him. Um, last year was more, though, you know, sore shoulder, concussion, you know, things like that, that, um, of course, you need to take seriously from a health perspective, but you also, you know, you, you need to be able to bulk up so you, you don't, you know, so that the, you're you're more durable against at least some of that stuff over the course of a Big Ten season. I think that's the big question for Penix. And you know, I, I tell people who are worried about it, I get it. He's he's pretty slight. I think he'll always be kind of slight. Like I don't think he's somebody who you you'll ever describe as really broad shouldered. But people also forget, like Ramsey, Peyton Ramsey, could barely throw a pass. You know, by the end of his redshirt freshman season, that's why a lot of redshirt freshman quarterbacks just don't play is because they need time to build their body. He's gotten noticeably bigger this offseason. There's no question about that. Um, you know, both of Indiana's starting tackles returned from last year, which is, of course, very good. The question with Penix is always just going to be durability because the, the arm talent is there. The understanding of the position is there. Um, he's a lefty, which I think throws people off a little bit. Like, I, I think left-handers in – like, I think left-handed quarterbacks and left-handed post players in basketball just 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 throw people's depth perception off. They, they just – no matter how much they think they can train for it – when it's happening, it just they expect it to come from a different angle. They expect it to come from the right, not the left. Um, if he can stay healthy, I think he's going to have a very good year for Indiana. I think he could wind up being one of the best quarterbacks in the conference, not count, you know, outside of like Justin Fields, Tanner Morgan, but he's got to stay healthy. You bring that left-handed thing up. I guess Tua was out for the first time this week, and as much as I knew that he was left-handed when he dropped back to pass and threw it that way, it was just still a mind-numbing thing. I just was I was not ready for that. So yeah, defensively, Indiana's secondary I think is very good. Um, I think that they got a lot of uh, depth. They got corners like three corners. They think they can play maybe four. Safety's been shuffled around a little bit. Of course, losing Marcelino Ball for the year uh, does not help. Curious what, um, you know, to help out your secondary, you need a pass rush. And I'm curious where that's going to come from this week. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe the biggest question I have about Indiana's defense because, you know, again, if you want to talk about solid but not spectacular, like that was Indiana on defense last year. They created 
a healthy number of turnovers, but not an elite number. They got a healthy number of sacks, but not an elite number. They were good against the run. They were good against the pass. They weren't great against either of them. Um, you know, it, it, it's sort of weird because we tend to sort of talk about how secondaries, you know, like a, a pass rush helps a secondary. I think it's at times kind of worked in reverse for Indiana. The, the secondary is the undeniable strength of their defense, even though they're, they're solid at all three levels. Um, and there was a lot of talk this year about like, you know, they kicked Jamar Johnson back to free safety. They moved Raheem Lane, who was a, a three-year sort of starter rotation player at corner over to free safety as well. They said they wanted more coverage skills at the back end of their defense. And, oh, by the way, we're going to be blitzing Marcelino Ball more because quietly Marcelino Ball is actually a very good pass rusher for his position. And you sort of thought, are they about to play a lot of zero coverage, like a lot of single high and just 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 trust their DBs to kind of take one-on-one matchups and get really creative about how they pressure? And then Marcelino Ball tears his ACL. He, for people who don't aren't aware Indiana runs a four two five ball plays what Indiana calls the Husky position, which is that hybrid safety linebacker spot. Um, and, you know, they're going to replace him with a kid named Brian Fitzgerald, who's also very, very good. But one of the things that I've said about these injuries, because Raheem Lane is now injured as well in the secondary is, you know, a big part of the strength of Indiana secondary is its depth is that it's ones and it's twos at times are virtually indistinguishable from one another. And if you start eating into that before the season even starts, I think you, you 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 get worried about kind of the direction that that's headed. Um, I really don't like. I really don't know the answer to that question. Like I I I had sort of formulated in my mind back in the spring, and even talking to coaches through the summer, you know, this world where basically they were blitzing more. Like Marcelino Ball was just almost an automatic pass rusher at times. And their linebackers were going to stay pretty neutral, read to see what was going on, read and react, and then they were just going to trust their secondary to manage itself. Now. I don't know if you do that as much, you know, Brian Fitzgerald is open about saying, I don't, I don't really, I'm not, I, I've never really blitzed. Like I've never really been a, a guy who was asked to blitz a lot to rush the passer a lot. So I really just don't know the answer to that. And I think it's going to be fascinating because I think that the, the way that this defense takes the next step forward is controlling that line of scrimmage a little bit more and being able to get consistent pressure on almost every quarterback they face, um, allowing them to kind of bring that, you know, that, that, that talent in the secondary really to bear because I think at times last year, the secondary was more just kind of keeping the defense steady because they could not create a pass rush because they couldn't control the line of scrimmage. You needed to work in reverse for a defense to really sort of optimize its results. And I just, I'm not completely sure that um, I'm just not completely sure if Indiana can still do it the way they envisioned with Marcelino ball out for the year. You have Tom Allen here in about two minutes. Uh, have you done predictions yet or anything of that nature? I haven't. Um, you know, if you ask me for a prediction, I'd, I'd, I'd go for Penn State, um, you know, seven to ten points maybe, like a touchdown, touchdown plus. Um, you know, I, I, I do think like the – I think we're going to get some weird results in the Big Ten this year, more so than than even the conferences that are letting some fans in because I just think it's going to – and I'm not making a joke about, oh, Indiana always plays in front of no fans and all that. I just think that, um, you know, it, I think fans lend a certain atmosphere that that helps kind of determine the direction of a game. And I think that there's going to be times – I mean, you again, you've watched the soccer like I have. There's times where you just feel like – if fans were there, the game wouldn't be allowed to just sort of run unchecked, but because they're not, everything just sort of turns into a training exercise and everybody just plays with absolutely no restrictions. Um, 
you know, and I could see this Saturday being an, an early example of that. I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana won. I think it's it's well within their capacity to win this game. But I, I would err on the side, even with the Journey Brown news of, you know, saying Penn State, you know, 38, 34, 38, 31, you know, 34, 24, something, something like that. A, a good game that's maybe decided by one decisive drive late. 38-31, the score of the 2018 Minnesota-Indiana game that I put myself through yesterday uh, <laughs> with Kirk Chirac against Tim, uh, Tom Allen. But, Zach, thank you for joining us. I know you got to get on the road, but uh, great insight on the Hoosiers. You can, of course, find Zach at the Indy Star, uh, at Zach Osterman on Twitter. He's a good fan of the – or a big friend of the show. Um, I wish he was a fan of the show. I don't think he listens uh, recreationally. All the time. But- yeah, all the time. But thanks for joining us, Zach. And uh, I guess we won't see you on Saturday, but uh, we look forward to hearing from you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we're back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Thank you very much to Zach Osterman, good friend of the pod, for joining us. Uh, always always good to talk to him to get some insight on the Hoosiers. Um, yeah, and now it's time for game predictions. We're not going to waste any more of your time. We've, we've gone a lot longer than we, we had planned. But uh, game predictions, you can find them on Lions 24-7. We'll start off Mark Brennan, uh, the third member of this crew, has Penn State winning 28-21. Everyone's kind of around that area. It's five, as we mentioned, five and a half is the uh, – line on Caesars William Hill right now we're all kind of in that one to two score type of line I think Zach said probably um, five or excuse me uh, seven to ten points probably Penn State favored I have Penn State right now winning 34-29 it's kind of been the the I guess the textbook for what we've seen in the last couple of, of uh, matchups between these two is right around that score. I think it's going to be close going into the fourth. I, as I've said, I mean, I've been talking about Indiana as a tough game probably since the first schedule came out. I, I think a lot of this Hoosiers team now they have had some injuries. They have had some issues with, uh, you know, with keeping guys on the field and that might hurt them. And as we, we heard Zach say, the depth is certainly something that, you know, is probably not as good as it was uh, back in August when they started camp. So, we will see what happens with uh, with that, but I have Penn State winning. I have Penn State the more talented team. I just I don't know how this is going to go. I could see a slow start. I can see a a dead atmosphere that contributes to a lot of things, but in the end, I do see Penn State pulling this one out. I do think that more than kind of teams coming out sleepwalking, teams are going to come out too amped up because they have been waiting and waiting. And it may be weird they're going to come out amped up and then it's going to set in that there isn't a a crowd rooting against you or rooting for you. And and maybe that will be a strange thing. But, I mean, you just listen to these phone calls this week and and normally there's excitement before a game. But there's a different level – of appreciation right now. I know you and I have a different level of appreciation. I know our audience has a different level of appreciation that that football is happening right now. And I definitely get that sense among these players, but um, to the score, I've, I've a little off. And by the way, I had to go back and check that that wasn't the score from a couple of years ago. It was 33 to 28 last trip to Bloomington when Shaka Tony came up with those four fourth quarter sacks. It was a windy day there. Um, you're, you're right there. Um, I've got 38 to 27. So more points scored uh, and cumulatively than either of you and, and also a wider margin for Penn State. Um, a couple things here. I think Noah Kane uh, has a huge day. I think there's a chance when all of a sudden done, he, he is going to lead the Big Ten in rushing yards. Um, if he can stay healthy, if he stays involved, like like I think he will, I think that's a, a genuine possibility uh, for his sophomore season. And I think it starts in a big way in Bloomington. I believe that they're going to get 
some of that pressure we talked about to keep Penix uncomfortable. I, I think there'll be stretches of the game where he finds a rhythm and, and fans maybe get into their rhythm where they say, here we go again with this Penn State uh, pass defense, making a quarterback into a superstar. But I think they will jostle him as the game goes on. I think they'll be unable to play keep up with Penn State. I'm not sure you'll see the kind of fireworks explosion that people want to see from, from the passing game at the wide receiver position in particular. I think Pat Firemuth will get his at the end of the day. Um, I just don't know if it, we're going to see some major passing numbers numbers uh, over the course of this game yet for, for Sean Clifford. I think they're going to do a lot of damage on the ground. You know, we saw that in the Cotton Bowl. Maybe we see that again to start this one. So 38-27 is my pick. Like you said, 34-29 to and, and Mark Brennan going 28-21. to I'll give you a quick reminder here, though. Um, Penn State, the last couple of trips to Memorial Stadium back in 18, back in 2016, which was the Big Ten championship run, uh, Penn State was trailing with less than 20 minutes to go in both of those games. I don't know what that means, but I'm telling you, if, if this is supposed to be the best version of the Indiana Hoosiers that James Franklin has faced in year number seven, then, you know, then, then this is going to be one that goes down to the wire. Um, we'll find out. I've got a little bit more of a margin there than you guys, but we've both got Penn State improving to 1-0 and, and setting the stage for a huge matchup back in Beaver Stadium. Uh, a different scenario than we ever thought it would look like, but Ohio State versus Penn State. And, uh, you know, uh, James Franklin would not approve of us mentioning Ohio State on this on this episode of the podcast. Yep. Got to go 1-0 before you can go 2-0. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just such a weird place to play. Penn State has has won there and that's the important thing obviously but you know they've also struggled to to get things going and we'll see if that's if that's going to happen they ran the ball well against Indiana last year and I expect them to try and do the same uh once again even with the coordinator change and again I see Fryermuth being a big part of this and if Indiana has to overcommit to Pat Fryermuth it can open some stuff up for some other uh, some other guys so um interest just very interested to see how these things uh come together on Saturday especially without a non-conference schedule there's just so many unknowns and there's so many positions that we look at and say I mean we think they can be very good we think they can be good but at the same time you're gonna have to see it on the field and I think that's uh that's part of the anticipation of waiting for this game this weekend there are going to be so many week one transitioning into week two reactions and narratives that develop here it's it we're gonna have so much different perspective on certain things and one other thing I wonder we know how tightly wrapped teams keep the injuries what happened during the preseason that we don't know about on both sides of the ball? There has not been media availability in Bloomington. There has not been media availability in University Park. Uh, what what happened, maybe? What, what Who are we not going to see involved that we thought we'd see involved because of something, an injury, a setback that occurred that just no one has gotten wind of? Some of these teams pretty darn good at keeping, keeping things in-house, and, and that's one other aspect that I do wonder about going into this matchup. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, part of the mystery and intrigue. And that's why we love college football. Another reason we love college football, the five-star mailbag. We're going to close the show with that this uh, this week. It's recruiting-based. Uh, it's a good question because this is happening all over the place. We've seen it a couple spots. So Oklahoma, LSU mentioned the Ohio State visit for Derek Davis this weekend. These unofficial, very unofficial events where these commitments for these schools are getting together and, and in a very unofficial capacity, doing their own thing, coming together. They did so they had the Sooner Summit in Norman uh, a couple of weeks or I guess a couple of months ago, uh, did the same thing at LSU. Uh, so it's just uh, guys getting together and, you know, building some sort of uh, bond camaraderie with the, with no coach uh, involvement whatsoever. And that's uh, the important thing here. There's still in the dead period. It's going to happen. So the question, since I 
I've rambled on. I thought that was the answer the for question, a second. <laughs> is uh, it, does it, does Penn State have plans to have any in season recruiting events, even though they can't interact with the staff? As I said, the dead period ends, or you know, does not uh, isn't is in effect until the end of the year, and that's of course goes through the first signing day. So that's uh, you know, if you're a 2021 prospect, I, f- I feel bad for you because you weren't able to take any visits, let alone the official visits. Uh, but no, I mean, this is uh, this is not really in the plans for Penn State. They are planning some stuff. Like uh, you look at uh, what Penn State plans to do on game day, and they usually bring the visitors in. They usually, you know, get these guys tickets and, you know, have them on the field before the game and everything like that. Well, they're going to do some sort of virtual sort of visit with, the, with some of these guys where you're FaceTiming maybe not James Franklin, but your FaceTime with members of the staff, the recruiting staff, you're kind of getting a feel for the atmosphere, whatever atmosphere that looks like. Um, so they're going to, I think a lot of schools are going to sort of latch onto this is, is getting out there. You're going to see, you know, recruiting staffers holding up phones, holding up tablets, whatever. Hopefully the Wi-Fi works better this year. And, and you get an opportunity to sort of see what you would see on a typical game day, even though this is not a typical game day. So that's really going to be Penn State's approach in terms of what they're able to do. Um, you know, there will be visitors in town for game weekends. We've already confirmed a couple on lines247.com where you can come into town. You can see what's up. You can sort of get a feel for the atmosphere. Um, a lot of those are going to be next weekend for, for, um, Ohio State, but I don't think it's going to be this big, huge thing where we're talking about all these guys getting together. You're going to see commits try and get up. Uh, we've already seen a couple of guys that have been on campus. Nick Singleton was on campus a couple of weeks ago. So it's going to be a little bit more of that. I don't think it's going to be everybody getting together for everything. Um, and you know, some of that stuff is good. Some of that stuff is kind of getting close to the rules and the NCA has started to actually police that. I don't see them really coming down and doing anything to Oklahoma, LSU, Ohio state, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's, it's definitely a situation that they're watching more closely. So I don't see the big gathering like a, you know, a, a, a player run lash bash or anything. I also think that an interesting component to this is you look at Penn state's class of 2021 and I don't want to say you're looking for leaders, but you just don't have that, that, uh, you know, sort of consolidation of guys closer to campus where, you know, you, you don't have Keaton Ellis where you can host. You don't have these guys that have been around the program that are very familiar with. Of course, Liam Clifford is, but Cincinnati's uh, quite a drive away and, and they're still playing their season. So you don't really have that continuity that some of these other programs like in Ohio State where you have a couple of guys from the Columbus area in your class or your central Ohio or what or what have you so um, I think it's a very interesting dynamic with this 2021 class there's there's pods of guys you've got you know a couple of Pennsylvania guys you got it for those Michigan guys and you've got you know you've got pods of guys but you don't really have that central guy that you can sort of go to and that's why I think with uh with the 2022 class you've got guys like Bro Probula maybe you get Makai Flowers in there you've, you're starting to build some guys up in Pennsylvania and then maybe you get a little bit more of that I think yeah I think this to me the meter has moved more in the 2022 cycle because of exactly what you just said that the, the you've got more uh you know the flag bearers for that recruiting class within striking distance of campus who can really co- try to coordinate something like that Landon Tangwall you know he he just got back to campus uh, a couple of weeks ago 
but your quarterback is in Canada. You got four guys playing football still in Michigan. Liam Clifford, the long-standing commit, you know, he he's out in Ohio catching touchdowns and multiple touchdowns last week in a playoff victory. Nate Bruce is back in action for Harrisburg. You know these these guys are also playing football themselves. But uh, yeah, I, I think you, you're pretty much. I don't really need to, to to double down on what you just said. I think you laid it out quite well. And I think the the last thing that Penn State wants and the last thing that these commits want is to try to to plan something or coordinate something that is too far reaching, you know, not even just dealing with the NCAA and, and, and what, you know, you don't want to do anything there that, that crosses a line, but just where you get guys to drive to campus. Cause this is a long trip for most people. You're talking about a few hours, at least you don't want guys to get to campus and then things to fall apart and a plan not come together. And then it's a bad look for everybody involved and it's a negative experience. So I think that's also something to be wary of. It's unfortunate, um, uh, and and this 2021 class should have a lot of motivation going into college because they were given uh, the short end of the stick and, and a raw deal like we have never seen in recruiting. Um, and it, that sucks. It sucks. It sucks. But I, I uh, right now I think you're kind of just about done with the 2021 recruiting class for Penn State. 2022 is off to a strong start. Maybe that's where you see things develop here, but uh, uh, we shall see. And by the way, 2022 and a recent visitor, Caden, Caden Saunders, Sean, before we uh, finish up the show here, into the top 100 uh, overall for the 24-7 sports rankings in the 2022 class, uh, soared up to, to into the, I think he's number 11 among wide receivers. He's had a heck of a junior campaign. Uh, he's a guy who got back to campus a couple weeks ago as well. So I think that's going to do it. We had a lot on the episode today. Any final words? But just, just everybody remember, we're not going to be gone long. We'll talk to you on Saturday. No, I'm going to try and get this up late Thursday night. I think that's really what we're going to shoot for this this uh, fall is getting an episode up Tuesday, getting an episode up later on Thursday, and then getting that that post game show up on Saturday. With the post game show, we we kind of want to try and space it out a little more. So. I don't think it's going to really affect too many people, except that maybe you listen to it on your way to work on Friday. But uh, that's going to be the plan. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just got this done late Thursday night. I just watched Daniel Jones uh, run for 90 <laughs> yards and fall on his face and really almost lost it on the podcast. So that's uh, that's basically where we're at right now. The football team still alive. That's an important game. I'm sure you're on you're on playoff watch with the standings, uh, checking that contest out, Sean. And, and, by the way, it'll be nice, although this is a big trade-off not to be in stadiums, it will be nice not to try to find little corridors or little broom closets to tuck away on the road to record these post-game podcasts. It was tricky sometimes last year, so we'll be doing it from our respective homes, at least for Game 1. Uh, thanks to Mark Brennan, who today took off and, and headed out to Bloomington. So he'll be on live coverage. We will be on coverage uh, here in Happy Valley. Uh, a bunch coming your way into the weekend. Check it all out at Lions247.com. We'll talk to you soon on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.